That seems to be working. Yeah. Yeah. Got time. Hi, Martin. Afternoon, guys. Sorry I'm late. That's all right. That's all right. How are we doing? It's episode one, season one of a new podcast series, Future Sounds FM, an eclectic, irreverent, but sometimes deep dive into all things vapor, future funk, and synthwave. I'm Enzo. I'm co-founder of My Pet Flamingo, and alongside me today are none other than Mr. Patrick Fakeman and Tom, also known as Love and Dust, Wichita Limewire, and one half of Donor Lens. Correct me if I've got the fractions wrong there, though. Um, gentlemen, how are we doing? All right, thank you. Okay. Not, not had no issues with COVID in your locality. Obviously, recording here in the UK and restrictions are kind of popped their way back in. And well, they have uh, for you. Yeah. Mine aren't too bad. I'm, I'm in England, so they just let us loose. <laughs> they don't really mind what we're doing. Ultimately. Yeah, we're, we're left to fend for ourselves. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of back to a situation of uh, masks in pubs, uh, limited numbers. All the football stadiums around here have, have gone behind closed doors, whereas I could still go to London and watch a Spurs game and 50,000 people can sit next to me. So it's a bit mad how but, but COVID's another story. I mean, it's affected us in different ways. So obviously we had the first Future Sounds event planned for later this month. And mm-hmm. Tom, you were going to be playing at that. Mm-hmm. Um it's crazy, really, to to think that like, that's had to be postponed. And just when we thought we were kind of out of the out of the worst of it, we kind of put back in again a little bit. So, I think it's a it'll be a blessing though in the long run. I think because it'll allow everyone just to reset a little bit, and then those those that are coming along um, feel nice and happy and confident about it, um, as well as making sure that we've got uh, a good show for everybody. Yeah, and I know a lot of the people who listen to this podcast will not be from London um, where the event's being held, but, um, you know, obviously we're planning to try and broaden that out over over time. But the first event, which was going to be on January the 29th at Folklore, is now being moved to March 26th. March 26th. All right, yeah, March 26th at Post Bar in Tottenham. So, um, yeah, first, first of a series of live events. And I guess from the point of view of what Future Sounds is, I suppose we should really do a bit of a preamble about the podcast. I mean, it, it's a joint venture. Uh, My Pet Flamingo, Time Save Recordings, and yourself, Patrick Fakeman. And I guess, yeah, the aim of it, we're going to have a revolving panel of hosts, try and do a, a, a deep dive into the wider scene in an interesting way. We've got a... Uh, an amazing interview today for listeners. Tom, you sat down with Carl from uh, Runners Club, 95. Sat down via Zoom. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously they've got their repress of No Sugar Added coming out on NPF on Friday. Uh, so yeah, interesting to, to to hear what he's got to say about the process and his inspirations and stuff. Probably took the questions in different ways than I might have done if I'd have been sitting down with him, which was really interesting to hear. And the guy clearly knows his music history, you both do. And yeah, no, it was, it was interesting well. talking to Carl because it um, it confirmed some things that I I knew about him, and uh, there were also some surprises along the way. Um, you know, he's he's an electronic musician, but who retains like a very strong pop sensibility. So you know, some things came up, like we were talking about Aphex Twin, and I, I think he I don't think he's heard a note. Like his his you know his his kind of electronic music references are all pop inspired, and I think you can hear that in Runners Club's music. 
So yeah, lots lot of, um, yeah, lot of surprises that came up in the conversation. No, exactly. And I think also one of the best things that, that having a platform like this will give us a chance to do is to talk to different people in different ways. We're going to have a revolving panel of hosts. Um, and I think, you know, just talking to, to Carla and getting a sense on what his inspirations are, the, the reference points for people making Vaporwave in particular are so varied. Whilst a lot of it might come back to the kind of similar aesthetic and stuff, there's a lot of different listening points that get people into making music. The inspiration points are different for everyone. And I think having a bit of a chat about with artists about what motivates them and inspires them to produce the music that they produce is, is we've got time to do that. We've got the opportunity to kind of have a bit of a deep dive with these artists and find out a bit more about what makes them tick. We'll aim to try and catch up with individuals that will be performing at the first Future Sounds event so that not only when you're there would you be able to enjoy the music that they're producing and playing live, some for the first time, but also get a bit of a background knowledge into who they are as human beings. Yeah, indeed, indeed, very much so. And I think it'd be, I know we're planning to try to do this and obviously with the change of venue, we'll have to have that conversation with them, see if it's possible, but it'd be quite nice to be able to grab the audio from the set so that people who can't obviously get to London in person for the event can have a chance to hear some of it back or watch some of it back if we have it recorded. Because the guy, uh, Chris, who's the director of the Nobody Here film, he's going to be down there filming um, parts of it as well. So there'll be some cool footage out there that we'll hopefully be able to share. Um, as, as time progresses so yeah cool brilliant interview I hope people enjoy it yeah I caught up with Carl a couple of days ago via Zoom talked about all things Runners Club Paul McCartney and Warhammer <laughs> excellent Warhammer <laughs> love it Future where are you? In my kitchen. <laughs> nice. That's good. I like your um, monogrammed cup as well. Oh, thank you. I, I think it's a gift from my mom or my sister at some point, <laughs> like lots of years ago. Like the studio is there. Oh, nice. So this yeah. is like a um, hundred kilometers from Stockholm. Okay. Wow. But I love it. I mean, it's been really, really good. And uh, at first, I was a bit scared to, because because the music business scene in in Sweden is, there are you know small scenes in in other big cities, but it's fairly focused to Stockholm. So I was a bit worried to take myself away from that mm-hmm. scene. But it's just one hour by train, and and I work mostly from home. So so far, it's been good. You know, I kind of wanted to ask you, so we're, we're talking in the context of a vinyl record being repressed, which is quite like a, a strange and arcane thing to like 99% of the population, right? People who get their music through streaming. Like if you have to explain to them, this is a record I put out two years ago and due to demand, we're, we're making more records. That seems very strange. And like, you know, the amount of time that takes, you know, physically with um, record plants being all backed up with, Adele and Ed Sheeran releases and stuff. Damn you, Adele! <laughs> yeah, I know, with a quarter of a million records clogging up every every record plant in the world. This this no sugar added represses for you know it's for the heads, it's for the for the core vaporwave enthusiasts. Like I think it's a very separate thing to kind of putting out pop songs on on streaming services. It's almost like two entirely separate groups of people. Yeah. But there's a there's a balance also. Like if you steer too much toward the like 
pop single mm -hmm. mainstream area, you may end up losing the diehard fans because you're shit to them. <laughs> uh, and me, like, even though I'm a pop music guy, yeah, I still my heart is still you know left of center, like underground ish. So to like I would be one of those people that if a band I love suddenly made something super commercial, maybe I don't want to, you know. As a music producer, I need to make sure that I stay in tune with the values of me as a person. And, uh, and sometimes that is hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very reflective and self-aware. I think um, one of the big shifts that seems to have happened in, in our lifetime has been underground musicians kind of reconciling themselves with the fact that they like pop music. Like these two things, in, ter in terms of the actual sounds of pop music, are, are no longer like opposed to each other. But I think, I think as underground musicians, the things that we resist and the things that we're kind of rebelling against is more the kind of business practices. Of, mm. of of modern pop music like i think historically underground music scenes didn't sound like pop music but you know the music runners club makes and the music which like plenty of sort of left field r&b producers or you know whatever like uh, people outside the musical mainstream you know a lot of it sounds like pop music now i think i think that's a big shift that's happened recently and i think runners Runners Club is, is arguably part of that. You know, you're underground musicians, but you're making music that's quite heavily informed by pop music, both yeah. in the past and of the future, or the present. Uh, yeah, of course. I, I listen more to pop music than I listen to wave wave music on a daily basis. Yeah. Uh, but I, I tend to listen to old pop music. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's literally a track called Stevie Nicks on the record. Yeah, that's soft rock. Yeah. We, we it's, it's, it's soft rock, but it's, it's, it's sold like pop music, isn't it? It is, yeah.
is Tango in the Night like a big touchstone for you then? Absolutely. Yeah. We, every record we make, we, we, we set out to be like, this is going to be our Tango in the Night. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's funny because, because the rock guys talk about rumors, but like any, every music scene I've ever been part of, you know, like various sort of kinds of indie and synth music in the past and then electronic music scenes, always Tango in the Night. I, I, I like all the records with that setting of the group. Like even Tusk is an album that appeals more and more to me like yeah that was perhaps not the most instant record for me but that's one of the ones that you know stick to me once you know the others starting to you don't spend as much time with them but tango in the night that was like the record that got me into fleetwood mac and i really like the vibe of that record absolutely there's some production touchstones on that 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 are quite audible in no sugar added like i'm thinking soft synth sounds uh like these this kind of fairlight style uh sample kind of hits like like yeah. pitchy sample things yeah uh, drum sounds big gated drum sounds but you know in the beginning of of uh, the song good good time yeah we have this like yeah that was me trying to do the intro of everywhere yeah <laughs> so that's that was really like i lifted you know and I, I don't necessarily think i succeeded very well with that but i i actually lifted that idea from yeah. that uh, but even so like apricot the the new single yeah is uh, there's parts in that one lifted from both that fleetwood mac record mm-hmm. uh, but also prefab sprout i, I yeah. have to give, like the fairlight stuff sounds to yeah pre- Sprout. I think there's there's two things that that, that that sound like prefab sprout to me. They're those um yeah, the the vocals kind of being triggered off a sort of fair life or or whatever, and these kind of rapid fire arpeggios just kind of flitting about the stereo space. That's very uh Thomas Dolby, wasn't it? He he produced all the prefab. Yeah, yeah it was, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm getting more and more into the idea of of taking the worlds of um acoustic pop music like pop rock music yeah. and electronic music because i i can enjoy both yeah like some electronic music and some you know indie rock indie pop but it's very rare to have like a, a blend of those where yeah. those two can live together william orbit was a great pioneer yeah. that like the stuff he did for madonna was that's a very good blend of live live acoustic music and electronic dance music and you know that's what I'm very inspired by at the moment I think those those things that you mentioned so um, the 80s Fleetwood Mac records uh, slightly later Prefab Sprout stuff William Orbit in the 90s so so we're going 80s through to the 90s the thing that it has in common with what we do as musicians working now is they were experimenting in the studio. It's just that bedroom studios didn't really exist then. You know, in order to have the freedom to experiment in the studio, you needed like big studio budgets behind you. But those, those records, those are the sounds of people trying things out in the studio. You know, very expensive uh, equipment being used, very expensive studio time happening. Yep. But, you know, it's, it's not that different to what we're doing, you know, on a slightly, you know, on a more, more kind of domestic scale. And with with much less money, it's, it's still that kind of um, playfulness with sound, and I think I think that comes across in your music. I think it sounds very playful. Oh, thank you. That's that's very important to me, and something you can easily lose. Mm-hmm. That that's something you have to like 
keep in mind always as well to 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 have a good time. I get the impression that you're quite uh, studious and quite thorough. Um, how you view culture um, and and how you how you sort of produce music, like is that you are you always trying to sort of balance these two things, like things being sort of quite precise and 
accurate as well as being kind of playful and you know being more in a sandbox and just kind of messing around like do you do you do you see yourself as kind of balancing like a more kind of scholarly side with a with a more playful side uh, I definitely need to have more of the playful side mm-hmm. it's I when making music uh, Maria is, is like she's much better at the playful side but I'm so tuned in in what's technically right yeah. from reading about it and studying that I have sometimes a hard a hard time letting go and just be free see what I mean? yeah of course well I think that's so you know um, that's one of the dynamics of being in a duo right that you can uh you can check other people's ideas and you can say like oh no this is getting a bit too intellectual like we need to we need to make this more fun or or you know alternatively it's like this is is fun but it's kind of sloppy we need to take out this that and the other mm. but there's like there's different sides of music like the writing part the arrangement part that needs to be like fun exciting playful you know like that but then there's also the technical sides like yeah. the editing and I tend to stuck in in that field of music making for too long, yeah. which just makes me frustrated because I never end finish songs. So I, I that's my New Year's resolution to keep more time in the fun writing process yeah. and less time in the post production process. Yeah, I mean both both are important. Obviously, it's the, there's that maxim: write drunk and edit sober. You get get into like some kind of flow state when you're creating. But then, when you're in a more reflective mood, you can you can edit, and you you've got a bit more perspective on things. Mm. The thing is, I've been getting up at like 6 a.m. and then start working at 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really hard to make music like being just playing around at 7 a.m. in the morning to 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I just changed that up. So I'm gonna do like all my house chords and stuff like that in the morning and start working on music at 10, 11 and work to 10 in the evening. See if that, you know, if yeah. that makes it easier to be in the play mode. I know like Nick Cave talks a lot about having a routine. He's like, if you're a musician, being a musician is your job. You go to the office, which is, you know, the studio in our case, and mm-hmm. you sit down and you do stuff. And like, you have, you know, you will create something every day. like. You know, writer's block doesn't mean literally, you know, nothing comes out. I think in most cases, you know, stuff comes out where people think it's shit. But, you know, you get these these ideas out and then you you can kind of uh, go back on them at a later stage and kind of, you know, reflect on what you created. I think, you know, going to work and making music is, you know, a good routine for musicians to be into. Mm, absolutely. Was there, with No Sugar Added, was, was there a lot of material that kind of didn't make the cut? I think three songs. Okay, so that's that's that sounds like um, was there was there a lot of kind of uh, prep work? Like, had you kind of pre-planned the the process out quite like in advance? I think when we made that record, we we started to work out how to make a record. I mean, the first record, Panama Papers, that was just chaos. Like a few years later when I were to make like when I think when we did the first vinyl pressing or so and I were to like compile all the files back, you know, that was a complete chaos. So somewhere in between or those records or during the process of making No Sugar Added, 
I started to develop a more organized way of making an album, uh, which has been very good for me. But yeah. uh, I don't think we had like a perfect plan starting that record out. We worked things out during the making of that record, which we are now in in this record we're working on now able to use fully for the first time. Mm -hmm. mm. You're getting more more organized with time, are you? Yes, and also knowing what we need to do. So you don't have to constantly, oh, you, you figure out that, oh shit, I should have done this before this step. So you have to go back a step and then redo, you know, yeah. like editing the vocals before mixing them will yeah. make them much easier, stuff like that. So, so you just learn that there's different phases of everything. And with experience, you learn like in which order you need to do stuff so you don't have to start doing something, realize that this isn't, wor isn't working because I didn't do this stage properly and then jumping back and forth. So we have like much better product uh, project management. Yeah. That's good. What's the... Um, I mean, I, I, we kind of talked about it a little bit a second ago, but I want to I wanna dig a little bit deeper into it because, um, you know, I'm, I also make music as part of a duo. You know, you're you're part of a duo. Like it's quite an, an unusual way of making electronic music, but I think it is like it is it is an interesting dynamic. Like what um how do you feel about making music as part of a duo versus just making music by yourself? I like both. Yeah. The good thing about working in a duo, and please let me know what you think, but but the good thing about working in a duo is that it takes some of the workload off you yeah. and it's easier to trust your instincts when you have someone with you that can confirm your beliefs like i think we should do this someone says yeah that sounds good and then we're done you don't yeah. have to like uh, doubt yourself all the time yeah you have to learn to kind of uh sort of sacrifice some ego and stuff as well because it's like whole parts of the track is, yeah, is, is not for you. It's like you're handing it over to someone else and it's like what they do, you know, even if you say, you know, I don't know if you've watched this this Beatles thing, this this Beatles documentary. You are not yet. Okay, but, but anyway, I, the, the dynamic is interesting because, you yeah. know, I mean, you know, there's obviously four people in the Beatles, but like there's a duo, you know, a duo within that of, of Paul and John. And mm -hmm. Paul is just, you know, He's just driving things along because the, the the John Lennon is more laid back and slightly more kind of disinterested. And Paul's saying, you know, oh, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this. Even if you are like that, which I feel like I probably am in in, in my duo in Donor Lens, like the other person is never going to do exactly what you would have done yourself. They're still going to interpret that and they're still going to bring their own ideas to the party. Yeah, I uh, yeah. Uh, I wanted to add that as well that working with someone else they come in with their perspective their taste so it's going to be something that you can't do because you are not coming from the exact same place as that person so if you're having a tough time making something new and exciting bringing a new person into the equa equation will like stuff happens because you are not going to think or want or like the exact same things. Yeah. And in that situation, it's that important that you are not stubborn with your own will mm -hmm. and just like, yeah, let's try both ideas, see what works out. And there can't be any proud 
in that yeah. you have to be like okay let's do that works fine great yeah it's good and it's it's that dynamic is closer to being in a band like the the music that we've talked about in this chat so far you know chiefly Fleetwood Mac and Prefab Sprout you know you've got these uh human beings with different ideas whereas the sometimes with electronic music you know it's one dude often being very sort of uh dictatorial with the with the sound you know like controlling all elements of the sound you can literally mold sounds you know one person it's not that like the picture we have but but say an artist like avicii yeah there was like not not with levels but it's my impression that almost every single after levels there was a team of like 10 people working yeah. on the song yeah. so so if we're talking about all this big arena dj stuff i don't think it's true that they're like these masterful dude or girl sitting yeah. alone making everything i think they have like this big team of people yeah. sending them top lines or what else okay I, i'm thinking about like apex twin that okay we, we, if we're talking apex apex twin it might be right yeah i don't know that much about him <laughs> he's too left of center for me yeah interesting that's a, yeah that's interesting because you know so you when when I said electronic music, you went your mind went to Avicii and I went to Apex Twin. You know, electronic music is clearly a broad church, isn't it? It is. And I think the fact that it can accommodate, you know, duos like yours and and like mine that have this kind of pop sensibility, but also like a love for synths and sound design and stuff. You know, it's a it's a broad community. I think Vaporwave especially. You know, Vaporwave has always had an interest in pop music. You know, like. That, the the songs that you know the, the material that people reach for when they're sampling is often you know studio pop records mm. and and i mean and vocals as well you know like so much great vaporwave has you know at least the the kind of hint of a vocal i don't, I don't remember where but at some point i read somewhere that even when making electronic music like techno music trance music you should put some vocal just just a sample or yeah. something some short snippet of a vocal in everything because it makes it so much easier for humans to connect with yeah you want something that people will connect with you need to put in a vocal even just so slightly it mm-hmm. doesn't have like the upfront thing doesn't have to be like a full song just like a short snippet of something will make the song so much more connectable to people yeah so, and um i think that it's true i also think that it's Usually, making the vocal is the uh, most tedious part of making a song. So sometimes it's uh, just taking the easier road to make a song without the vocal.
I think on, on No Sugar Added, when even on the tunes which don't have any vocal element, sometimes there's something like a little field recording, like or like an acoustic instrument or a sample of an acoustic instrument. You know, you got the saxophone on Carrie Bradshaw and you got there some uh, elements in other tunes where like some natural sounds come in. I think mm -hmm. like that, those those are things that humanize electronic music, which can otherwise be quite cold. And I think sure. your music is 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 not is never cold, really. I don't think I think you always make quite sort of warm. Thank you. And it, it wasn't a deliberate choice, and it's nothing that crossed my mind. But I think you're right. Yeah, I think I any music I'm involved in, I think I like it with a like more warm feeling than a cold sterile and uh, i think that would apply to marie as well so okay and you're making music in quite a cold place like a physically cold place yes so, so we have to make it like we have to make it warm too <laughs> yeah yeah you could you could you could have gone either of two ways really you could you could make the music you make or you could make like really uh cold uh distant techno music mm -hmm. That's not very soothing, though. No, no. I like that. Well, the, the 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 record is soothing is a good word. Like that. That's definitely what I feel. I actually put it on at Christmas. We, I was I was in America for Christmas with my family, and I put the record on on Christmas Day. You did? Yeah, yeah. It's, oh. it's runners clubs for the family. Because usually Christmas Day is the if, if if you look at the chart of how much we're streaming on Spotify, yeah. Christmas Day every year is the day we stream the least. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure that's true. Of, um, that's true of everybody other than people with Christmas music. I think. Yeah, I'm fine with that. People can go to Christmas. I think, uh, Mariah Carey's chart is the opposite. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Not a big fan of that song. It's all right. What? Um, what is your favorite Christmas song? Ooh, I like I like the the um, like the. Do you say big band? Kind of music like yeah. Nat King Cole, Frank yeah. Sinatra, that that kind of Christmas music. That's very warm, warm that's music as well, isn't it? That's that's music, music to listen around the fireplace. Yeah, that that sort of Christmas music. I also in recent years I started to have this uh, ironic love for this uh, uh, on the first day of Christmas, my oh, true yeah. love to me, and I really like the one with uh, the Muppets and uh, John Denver singing. Nice, mm. but that's 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 a cool song because it. Um, you know, it has that additive thing, like it gets, you get more and more and more, and then, uh, and the five-point ring. I think, it, I think it's a really old song. I think it's like a, re a Renaissance or medieval thing. Probably, yeah. What are all those things they're giving each other? Um, mainly, from, mainly birds. Yeah? Mainly, mainly birds. Apart from, yeah, from the five golden rings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Do you have a favorite Christmas yeah. song? So I have a favorite Christmas song. Yeah. Um, I think, um, yeah, well, just just because I was watching this Beatles thing, um, uh, I, I'm just always un unironically really like that Paul McCartney one with the with the, with the really really blippy uh, keyboard sound. Uh, quite, quite, quite a runners club keyboard sound, I think. Might be. Yeah. Might. It's a it's a it's a Yamaha CS80. I don't know yeah. if you used the Arteria one or that. We used the Arteria one on, I think there's, on the song called Real. Yeah. We used that. Yeah. Nice. Well, there you go. <laughs> you, you, you and Paul McCartney, very akin. Mm. Are you a Beatles well, guy or not? If I'm a Beatles fan? Yeah. Not huge, no. 
I can enjoy some tunes, uh, but I'm not a massive fan. I'm not that big into like 60s rock. Yeah. That's not really my thing. Yeah, I, d- I don't. I don't hear that in your music. I don't think I like sixties music really, other than Beatles. I, the Beatles is one of the things that me and me and Jay from Donalens agree on. We have very very different music tastes. Else. Oh, we we both grew up on on Beatles. Mm. Yeah, our reference points are, are very different. I don't know. What about you and Maria? Do you do you guys listen to similar music, or do you have quite distinct music tastes? Well, I'd say we're like traditionally. We've both in, been into um, like indie, yeah. indie pop, but she's more into like the singer-songwriter end of it, and I'm more into like the rock band end of it. So yeah. she, like like the last, that's not indie pop really, but the last few, um, not Lana Del Rey, but Lana Del Rey too, but Taylor Swift, like the last few yeah. Taylor Swift, the folksy, very folksy one. Yeah. That's more of Maria's bag. She likes Damien Rice, uh, that sort of thing. While I've been more into like the rock end of it, like even say Blur is not an indie rock band, but the 1975 yeah. stuff like that. Uh, and then I also been very into trance music growing yeah. up. She she can't stand that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a, that's an electronic music that that is is very fun. I don't know if warm's the right word for it, but it's it's very. Uh, it uh, it's not like chin strokey stuff. It's it's kind of it's fun dancey music, isn't it? Kind of silly. Doesn't take itself uh, too seriously. It depends. There's there's various, and I haven't been listening to new trends since 2005 yeah. anyway. But but there's at least back then there were multiple subgenres, and I was into like the, the very German. You know, super saw, massive dance floor type stuff, uh, with with melodies. Yeah. So I, melodies has always been very important to me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so much electronic music is about rhythm and sound design, but I think uh, Runners Club is songwriting, melody, harmony, harmonies. You know, as well as well as rhythms and sound design. But I think it's you know you're not you're not making dance floor music. Uh, you're make, you're making songs, even if they're kind of slightly refracted versions of songs, slightly kind of vaporized versions of songs. Melody is important, even no matter what sound design you want to use to dress the melody. Melody is like what's gonna carry the song for a longer period of time. A cool sound that's that's a cool sound for a minute, but if the cool sound is based around a, a good melody that that will last so i always aim to uh, when i make music i always aim to to have some sort of melody that sticks nice you know the, the songs we made that i felt like this is the single this is like the good one yeah they never are the ones that appeal to people okay like what i, I have a very very bad sense of of saying what's gonna stick with people and what will not. Good time, we kind of had an inkling that I think this will, uh, people will vibe with this one more than the other songs. But on the first record, we were dead wrong. And some with some things on the second record as well. So I need to stop thinking mm-hmm. that I'm like, I need to stop thinking in terms of singles and album tracks and just make a bunch of album tracks and hopefully one of them will work as a single for some people. I don't know. 
that's interesting I, was, I mean i get the impression from no sugar Addicts that you um you do have quite a good sense of of which of the which of the pop bangers because it's you know you've kind of uh the the sort of the pop songs are, are at the front of the records the first three or four songs are are the kind of the, the big pop songs to my ears we're starting off with no sugar <laughs> uh, good time uh, that might that might be true, yeah. But yeah. we were dead. We we really really thought that back to IRL. That's what was gonna be the big thing, <laughs> and it's not.
My, um, my favorite one's better. Yeah, because that's one. That's the one with a, like a different time signature or something. Yeah, it's it's just got like a weird kind of circularity to it. I like mm-hmm. that one a lot. You're um, so trained, trained yeah. musician. I, yeah, I was I was listening it to, to today trying to work. I think it's a bar of four and then a bar of six. Something like that, yeah. It's just and it just and it just kind of loops around around that phrase. Like I think um this this guy um Adam Neely, big like music YouTuber, he says that repetition legitimizes, which means that like if you do something again and again, you begin to understand the kind of logic mm. of that. You know, like it might take like a few kind of instances. But like I mean that's I think that Vaporwave is built on this, this idea of repetition legitimizing. You know, even if you've got like a wonky loop, like a loop that's not an exact bar if you've got a loop that's like a little bit strange yeah, that it comes absolutely. around and around you you learn those rhythms you learn those yeah. little kind of um that drops. was that was very hard to analyze starting wakeway like why can't i get that kind of rhythm mm-hmm. from from like the sample wakeway stuff and, and simply because i was thinking in terms of bars yeah you need to like let that go in order to get that really chopped up yeah thing like when you when you are like a trained or experienced music producer or or musician you tend to like music that you don't understand <laughs> because if you understand it you're instantly starting to like pick everything apart like small pieces of lego like yeah yeah the wall you see every single brick like okay this is there and then the guitars come from the left and then there you know you analyze every element yeah. but if, if if you don't understand the music you can't do that and then you just have to enjoy it and then yeah. it also becomes like magical or interesting because you do not understand it so you yeah. want to understand it and i think that's what got me into weight wave in the beginning because first time i heard it i didn't understand it nice I think yeah, what you're talking about. Um, I think a, a lot of very trained musicians end up getting into electronic music because there actually is not that there's not uh, like a great sort of theoretical uh, language around things like timbre, like around sound itself. You know, like there's there's all kind there's there's centuries of music theory about melody and harmony and rhythm, but like in terms of pure sound, you know, we we reach for kind of adjectives we and, and and metaphor really to describe sound you know we say a sound sounds warm or we say a sound mm. sounds harsh like that's not that's not massively technical language i think electronic music still has that kind of magic and that mystique even for sort of highly trained musicians mm. because it you know it's it's magic it's not science mm. i once was uh, put to the task of making something that sounded like a big orange not the color the fruit yeah uh, and then you just have to like figure it out like okay what what am i doing to make this sound like a big orange rolling right. well some some great music was made that way that's how brian eno used to direct his bands in the studio with it have you seen he, he has these things called oblique strategy cards and it will say yeah. you yeah. know say you know play like you're a big orange and he would tell that to talking heads and they would do it um same with um uh david lynch was it was 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 telling that to um uh god what's his name when they're when they're writing the twin peaks music and and angelo badalamenti david lynch was just like telling the story in badalamenti's ear and he was just you know playing just um yeah kind of music is metaphor and music music is magic 
I think I think you know your record definitely has this kind of um, sort of magic and mystique to it. Thank you. <laughs> I feel so weird though because I really like your records too, and I'm just sitting here. You tell me how uh, good things about my records, and I'm like, thank you. <laughs> that's 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 quite all right. But I'm, I'm not I'm not here in my capacity as as a member of Dona Lens. You know, I'm, I'm here as a as a an employee of my pet flamingo. Okay then. Next time I'll interview you about Dona Lens. Nice. I'd well, I'd be very up for that. I'm not sure how up for it Jay would be because he's a little bit shy. Well, Maria isn't here either. That's what well, that's yeah. We we have a lot in common, don't we? <laughs> We just have to be the PR persons of yeah. our bands. Um, sort of wanted to gauge how nostalgic you are as a person. I am very nostalgic. Yeah, I, I constantly just think about retro stuff and how mm-hmm. to how to work out an outfit or an interior or music that's very on point to the retro aesthetics I'm into. Yeah. I think well I think that comes across in your music and just how you present yourselves as well because it's it's quite studious. Like you literally go to the library to look at magazines, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. The Royal Library library. Mm. Yeah. I think I think that's that's unusual. I think I feel like in retro music scenes like Vaporwave, Synthwave, I think some people assemble their kind of um, mood board slightly haphazardly. You know, it's a little bit sort of unfocused, whereas I think the way you, well, you and Maria, the way Runners Club presents yourself, it's very clear and focused, you know, what your your influences are and what you're trying to present. I think you get that across very clearly. Thank you. Uh, I was very determined that if we were to do like a retro thing, Mm-hmm. We're gonna do it right. We're not gonna do like a romanticized version of it. If if we want to do something that is like say nineties, then it's gonna be on point. Yeah, uh, and not and I, I, not necessarily that we succeeded with that, but that was what we aimed to do in the beginning. Um, yeah, and I tried to do, but that's also a way to procrastinate actually working just to to look for resources and gather information about how to do what it is you want to do and mm-hmm. do it right yeah so i i, I think you, you it seems like you identify a time period and you actually put in the work you do the homework to kind of um emulate those sounds and those um aesthetics of those of those eras like i think i think a lot of work goes on behind the scenes mm. Which is funny because in school I wasn't very good at doing my homework. <laughs> Now I overdo it instead, so I compensate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're doing your own thing. I mean, you're you're not being told to do this by someone else, are you? That is true. I always had a problem with someone giving me orders. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What was about a- um, what about giving yourself orders? Like um, because I feel like Runners Club it's not just a retro project. Like it's I mean, you know, we're talking to discuss um, the repress of No Sugar Added, which, you know, there's is obviously kind of uh, a nostalgic record and a retro record, but there are futuristic moments as well. And maybe uh, are you one of the artists who sets yourself rules and then goes about breaking them quite early on in the process? 
I'm not sure if, if Runners Club ever was about breaking the rules as much as trying to do something and failing, <laughs> which ends up being something new. But yeah. uh, the only time I had that breaking the rules mindset was when we did Rewind, because I was... I went to audio engineering school, like one or two year, one year, and you know every every piece of advice on how to mix. You don't put reverb on the bass or mm -hmm. on the channel. And I was like, what if we make a song? And and the only concept we had when we started was to put a reverb with 100% wet on the master channel. That was the concept. So that that's the only time we deliberately broke a rule as the song's main concept. It's quite a strange rule. Like, if you ever play around on a workstation or whatever, like, all the sounds, including the bass sounds, have got reverb on them. Like, as, as long yeah, as they've got a load on the bottom end, it'll be fine. When you play, like, a, that kind of synthesizer that you always have to go into menu and, you know, turn off the reverb. Yeah, it's the same way, you know, when you buy a TV from the shop or you go into the, the, the shop and they've cranked the TV's brightness, so everything's really hyped. To get you to buy it, it's the same with those workstations. They make the sounds. You buy a lot of TVs. What's that? Do you buy a lot of TVs? I don't buy a lot of TVs, but um, mm -hmm. if you ever go into a store, you, the, the all the settings are absolutely cranked. You know, brightness yeah. full, contrast full. So you go and they think, "Whoa, this is amazing!" But um, it's not actually. Well, it's not very good for your eyes, and it's not very representative of what the TV actually looks like. It's the same with those sounds. They're hyped. They're they're, they're exaggerated. Mm. You know what? Thinking about it, I don't think I ever bought a TV myself in my entire life. I have never purchased TV. You probably want a, like a little 90s cathode ray, like a... <laughs> like, what's a, we call them shock TV in Sweden, which is uh, basically thick TV. Mm. Ones. Nice. Uh, I know there's a proper word like CTR TV. Yeah, it's a CRT, a cathode ray tube or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have one of those. Mm. That one picked up for free. I have a TV that I got for my birthday in 2009. But other than that, I've never, you know, acquired a TV and and those two I didn't buy. You got a little TV you play games on, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. Bree has a TV, so we we if we want to watch a movie, we're watching her TV, and if we want to, you know, watch a VCR for nostalgic reasons or play like the Super Nintendo, we got the thick screen and the thick nice. TV. So you you can participate in the modern world and the and the past. And you've got these two things kind of separately. Yeah. Like that. <laughs>
I'm, I'm yeah. going to ask you some silly questions just to wrap it up, okay? Yeah, please do, because I have a Warhammer paint, painting session coming up soon. Do you do that on your own or with, with other Warhammer enthusiasts? I, I haven't been doing it for like 15, 20 years, but just now, uh, me and my, you say brother-in-law, Maria's yeah. sister's husband. Yeah. We're, we're starting off again, so... That's cool. I have a friend coming over to... What kind of... Is it the, the, the Space Warhammer or the other kind? The Fantasy Warhammers. Nice. Yeah. What's the Space one called? 40, 40k or something? Yes. Very cool. Um, all right. Okay. So, uh, some quick fire silly questions. Uh, so your your band name is Runners Club 95. Um, yeah. You run yourself. That's, am, am I correct in saying that? You're, you're, you are a runner? Yes. But you're not a member of a running of a running club. You run by yourself. I used to be growing up. I was uh, per, I was uh, competing in orienteering. Okay. In, up until the age of like 15, 16, when they stopped uh, having all those youth uh, camps for contesters. Uh, at that point, it's not funny anymore. <laughs> but I still do a lot of trail running. Yeah. Nice. Do you when you're orienteering? Do you run or is it a walk, like more of a walk? It's a run. Wow. Didn't know that. There you go. I'm glad I asked the question. Um, do you like nightclubs? Are you a, are you a clubber? Not anymore. Mm-hmm. No. I used what, to be. What kind of clubs did you used to go to? I don't know. I, I rarely picked them myself. I were, were more like a person who just followed people from... I, from work that know where to go and stuff like yeah I'll join uh, but I'm not very much into like the pub like stuff like that like a beer pub because I don't like beer so I, I'd rather go somewhere where you, you go to see a band okay stuff like that yeah do you think you, is when you see music do you need you need something more visual than just some a DJ playing for a concert yes okay I mean, if I go to a club and just like, if, if it were a dance club, then I don't you know, mind just a DJ playing, but I don't really get the, the concert, like going to a big festival to see like a DJ play. That's, I don't get that. I need to have like musicians in a band. Okay, that makes sense. Um, this is maybe a bit of a mean question if you, if you don't have access to Google, but um, do you have uh, some favorite music from the year 1995? Favorite music from the year 1995? Ooh, uh, I'm I'm more I'm more expertise in '98 to 2002, mm-hmm. but I think '95 was a really good year in general. If I'm not mistaken, there's a song by Mike and the Mechanics. Okay. Looking back over my shoulder. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I think that's a song from 1995, and that one is really, really good. Uh, I don't know. It's the first, like the first Backstreet Boys single, isn't that like '95? Could be. That sounds going on for years. You're a Backstreet Boys scholar. That's um. Backstreet Boys was my first idols. Like yeah. the first band, like the first CD I bought was Backstreet Boys. Very cool. Um, yeah, it's good. Okay, final final silly question. What what is your sugary treat of choice? Oh, I am such an addict of sugary treats. I 
I have like a problem. If there is candy, I can't stop myself from eating. I need to like tell people like I'm like I'm a um, previous alcoholic. Like, okay. Yeah. You can't bring candy to my house. Okay. It's absolutely forbidden. I like everything, but if I had to pick something, you know, I always I'm always excited when I can get my hands on. Do you know chupa chup? That's yeah, no, the lollipop. Yeah. yeah. If I can get my hands on those, perhaps like the melon flavor, the cherry flavor, something like that. I, I have to go with like flavors then. I like every candy, but I'm more into like melon. Do you say yeah. melon? Yeah. yeah, melon, cherry, stuff like that. Well, didn't uh, Salvador Dali, didn't he design the logo for them? Or is that, that's an urban, urban legend? I have no idea. It sounds like an urban myth, but if he did, then that's cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna check because I don't want to be spreading misinformation. I'm I'm sure I heard. Uh, yeah, he did, yeah. It's, it's the Chopper Chops logo is designed by Salvador Dali. Very very cool. That makes me want them even more. Yeah. Is there, is why so why why the name No Sugar Added? Is it does this does this reflect on your kind of um, sweet? No, tea? it was more like a reflect on society, you know, because. Because going to like a grocery store, you have this no sugar added on like everything because people are so health conscious. Yeah. That stuff that, it, like, I was just thinking that we should comment on on the, like, I'm 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 into health and stuff like my, myself, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't really know how to express this. It was it was just more like comment on the constant need to put that on. Yeah. Aging. Uh, uh, in order to sell. Nice. Yeah, well, I think that's that's a very vaporwave thing, isn't it? This, the getting influence from shopping and branding and mass marketing. You know, the, the kind of and just the visual stimulus of seeing all these these products that say no sugar added, no sugar added, no sugar added. Mm. You know, as as a musician who has also made an album inspired by uh, shops, uh, I can I can totally see how you how you might be uh, influenced by by seeing all that. Mm. All right, yeah, let's 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 wrap it up and enjoy painting your Warhammers. Yeah, where are those? <laughs> well, see you later. Yeah. See you soon, Carl. Bye bye. Bye. Excellent. So that was Tom's interview with Carl from Runners Club. Uh, great insight in there, and of course, the idea from the Future Sounds FM point of view is that we'll try and pull a podcast out at least once a month that'll uh, be able to do similar kind of interviews, some uh, some good music along the way, and of course for individuals that you'll be able to come and see on the 26th of March at Future Sounds at the Post Bar in Tottenham. I get, can I just one thing on on that interview just before we wrap up for for this for this episode? I I, w- I didn't think I'd ever meet anyone else who was still doing Warhammer because obviously Alex Krasnick, who comes along to a lot of the events, and I think you guys both know him. He's the only other person I know who still um, holds a flame for that kind of thing. He actually goes sometimes he he spends his whole Saturday in in a game, a games workshop. Games workshops are called. No, I think yeah, they still used to be called Games Workshop events, but I think they've actually changed their their name to Warhammer. I think the stores are actually called Warhammer now. I might be wrong. Uh, so they've either one one of those two companies has subsumed the other kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, there we are. Oh, brilliant. I didn't even yeah, know no, they were still main... around. Oh, they're massively popular. Is yeah, it going to come back? The, the Is it another thing? Warhammer. 
there we are. Every day is a school day with, with you guys. <laughs> That's because I work in schools. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm not sure how many of the kids are into Warhammer though. You have to ask them. Do, do you ever do you ever ask them if they're into vaporwave? I had one kid who was. Um, you can spot you can spot the vaporwave kids, or the or you can spot the Warhammer kids as well. You know? it's never it's never a surprise. Are you like a cool dad to them because you're in donor lens? No, I, they they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, had they heard of have they heard of Apex Twin? The, the Warhammer kids have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I learned something new about um, Apex Twin the other week. I was browsing BBC Wales, and it turns <laughs> out one of the assembly members in the Welsh Parliament is his sister, sister? I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's his direct sister, maybe half-sister, but oh. she, I, d- I don't know much about her. I don't really follow follow it that closely, what goes on down there, but I was quite stunned because she seems like quite a straight-laced yeah. Um politician but she um, apparently bought the Welsh First Minister the last one Carwin Jones um, she bought him a, a copy of um, Apex Twin on vinyl that no worries good. <laughs> I was catching up with you boys alright All right, catch yeah, you cool. soon thanks Tom see you, see you later you. cheers guys bye